be seated. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this morning, and uh, we thank you for your word. And as we uh, get ready to, to jump in and, and study your word together, I just pray that uh, your spirit would just impress uh, the truth of today on every heart and in every mind, and that we would be uh, obedient to your calling, whatever that looks like in our unique circumstance. But uh, it's what your Holy Spirit does, transform, brings the word into individual hearts and minds to convict us of what we need to do. So I pray that uh, right now for uh, each and every one of us listening, it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to start out, I guess, with a truth that I, I don't think we'll have like a ton of disagreement, but here it is. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. All right? it's, it's true, isn't it, when you think about power, that there's something very corruptible about power and we don't about especially unchecked power and we don't even really have to let our minds wander very far before we start to think of examples of of it my first one of my first memories of this idea of power that just kind of got out of control was in the mornings as I'd be getting ready for school my mom fell in love with this show called the PTL club and uh, you may not recognize the name of the show but I promise you you recognize the name of the hosts uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and uh, they had this vision back, back in the 1980s to build a Christian theme park in South Carolina. You may remember this. And they were raising to accomplish this theme park. They were raising uh, millions of dollars. And over time, uh, accounting accusations began to emerge and misappropriation of funds uh, to kind of fund the Baker's lavish lifestyle began to emerge. And uh, Jim Baker, the host of that show, ended up being indicted and eventually he went to prison and it kind of allowed everyone to ask the question, how does that happen? As I got older in the 1990s, rumors began to emerge about our president at the time, President Clinton's relationship uh, with the White House intern, and you all remember where that went, right? Uh, incredible political tra- controversy, lots of hours dedicated to movies and books, all trying to ask the question, how exactly does that happen? Just a few years ago, some of you may remember, whether you're in the sports world or not, you probably remember the Tiger Woods scandal in the realm of sports, and he got embroiled in his own controversy. And I was really struck by what he said at one point during that. Uh, I'll put it on the screen for you. He said, I knew my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply. I never thought about who I was hurting. Instead, I only thought about myself. I ran straight through the boundaries that a married couple should live by. I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to. I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and, and, and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. Thanks to money and fame, I didn't have uh, far, I didn't have to go far to find them. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it's a general rule of thumb that, like I said, most of us don't even disagree with. And it's easy how, to see how it happens. A desire in the, in the public leader, a desire for relationship, position, or a thing combined with a lack of general accountability in the organization, and then a sense of entitlement to have whatever he desires or she desires on behalf of the leader. And bammo, right? You've got controversy, you've got entitlement, you've got Scandal. I heard a fallen leader say one time, I had no one in my life that would tell me no. Right? And and that's exactly what we see here. A desire from the leader 
combined with a lack of accountability in the organization, combined with an entitlement in the leader's heart, and all of a sudden you've got scandal and corruption and all sorts of things that we've seen. It's not a good combination. And I think I would say that this does a couple things that are not great, that for the leader, this is just not the best way to lead. Right, with absolute power and control, it's just not a good way to lead. The leader may very well get a few things done with that kind of model, uh, but it's not ideal. And for all of us follow, following the leader, it shakes our confidence in our leaders. And we've seen this in our nation for the last 40 years. We tend to have very, very low confidence in our national leaders because of all that's happened before. We have a very low confidence in Congress, we have a very low confidence in our Supreme Court. We even have a very low confidence uh, in the executive part of our nation's leadership. It's just a low confidence in our national leaders. And this has led, and you might notice this in our culture, this has led to a great deal of cynicism. Right? Now, believe it or not, the Bible actually has something to say about power and our relationship to power and how we wield our own personal power. Here's how Tim Keller wrote it in, in the tweet that I've been referencing uh, the last few weeks. He says, Christianity offers a unique view of power. The incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus shows us both power both voluntarily relinquished and yet deployed for service to others. Here's how Jesus said it one time, right? Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it, what is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. We're, we're looking for power positions. We want to be game changers, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They wanted those positions for themselves, right? Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, these two uh, disciples, kind of urged on by their mother, craved more and more power. And I think that we see that in our culture. We see in our culture a fighting for and a desire for power. Why? Well, in their culture and in ours, more power equals more control. And that's really what we're all after is control. And oftentimes in the beginning, this desire for uh, power, this desire for control, uh, often in the beginning, it is tied to a vision by someone for how the world should work. And that can be a good thing. You might see this in a politician who has a vision for the country that he or she really believes in. You might see this in your employment, at your work, a, a boss or a leader who just really believes in their ideas for the future of the company. You might even see it with parents that have a vision and desire for their children. So they desire more and more influence, more and more power. But here's what can happen. Is that desire for control that starts for a noble reason becomes a desire for control so that I can be served or I can be respected, 
or I can think, have things my way, and it very quickly becomes corruptible. And it very quickly becomes kind of ugly. In Jesus' day, uh, the, the people that he was talking to, they had two big examples of this. First of all, they had a Roman example of this. Uh, that in uh, Rome had occupied Israel at the time of Jesus' birth, uh, and they were in control of it. And at one point, Rome had this vision for the world called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And they kind of determined that the way they could bring peace to the world, right? And it sounds kind of silly right now, but we see other countries in our world operate this way. The way that they could bring peace to the world is by conquering the nations of the world, and controlling them. And they said, man, if we just conquered all the nations of the world, there would be peace. Because everybody would think like us and everybody would be like the, us. And so they started defeating the nations in our world, around the world, including, including Israel, controlling them. And the desire to control people was seen in the way they governed. Rome often governed by overwhelming violence and overwhelming fear. Because they knew if people were afraid, then they could be controlled. And so this, uh, this is the way they governed, and this was seen in, in violent ways, and it was even seen in just some legislative ways, right? Rome had a lot of laws for the way they governed people, but one of their main laws in the countries that they occupied was a law called impressment. Impressment. And what the law of impressment said was that any Roman soldier could approach any citizen of the country that they were inhabiting and force them to carry their gear for one mile. The law of impressment. Now, this gear would, at, would at easily weigh over 100 pounds, right? It, 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 was, uh, it was soldier gear. And so it would weigh well over 100 pounds. And they had a law of impressment that said, you can force anyone. If you're getting tired, you can force any citizen to carry your, bag, your bags for at least one mile. You may remember Jesus' words on this. He said, you've heard that it was said... Eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give him your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, what does he say? Go with him too. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So a person in control, the Roman guard, using their control to force others to serve him. And it's ugly. And you've seen it before. Have you ever had the boss that just has unreasonable expectations for what the intern will do for them personally? You're going to watch my kids this weekend, intern, right? You're going to pick up my groceries. You're going to clean my house, right? They have used their position of power to be served. And I love Jesus' recommendation. He says, if they force you to go one mile, go ahead and go with them too. Now, it's a grace response to be sure, it, it is, uh, but it's also an action that kind of reasserts your own power and your own control. That then they can force you to go one mile, voluntarily take back control and go with them too. And you can imagine the Roman guard's reaction when you do that. Hey, I'm tired, carry my bags for one mile. At the end of the one mile, all right, this is as far as we're going to go. No, let me do one more. Right? Let me serve you in this way. It's also an action that demonstrates a better way to live and a better way to behave by the person in power. So the, they had Roman example of what Jesus was talking about, and they also had Jewish example. Right? So one of the things Rome determined, one of the things that Rome determined in the nations that they conquered was that if you ripped away a nation's faith, that the people would often rebel against you. 
And so Rome kind of found this way to allow the citizens of the country to keep their faith, and they would nominate or, or put people in positions of power that were Jewish, that would maintain the Jewish faith for Israel. And as you know, if you read the Gospels, some of Jesus' harshest words were to these people. Uh, these people in this position of power that Rome had put in that position to manage the nation's faith, Jesus would often, one of Jesus' harshest sermons, let me share it with you. Jesus uh, said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. This was their prayer shawl. They want to make sure they're extra long so everyone can see they're a person of prayer. They love the place of honor at the banquets, the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Hey, Bill, how's this going? How, how's it going? Call me rabbi, right? But you are not to be called rabbi. You have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, he says to these religious leaders, you're using your position of authority and power to be served. They love to get the special seating, man. Who doesn't love the special seats, right? They love the special seating at the events. They love the greetings they reserve. Call me rabbi, call me father, right? They love the perks of the job. And they're seeking to be exalted. And they're seeking to be served. They're seeking to be taken care of by the masses. And here's Jesus' point. It is dangerous. It's how power ends up being corrupted. It's how power ends up being corrupted. Jesus taught something totally different about the kingdom of God that we're all a part of. He says, the greatest among you, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, the greatest among you will be your servant. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, the bigger the position, the bigger the place of power, the more influence you have, the bigger platform that you're given is a bigger place of influence to love and serve others. Consider Jesus for a minute. Jesus was powerful. Jesus was more powerful than, than anyone. When he preached, you know what people said? When they heard Jesus preach, they, would, they didn't say, nice sermon, preacher. They said, no, that guy preaches with power from on high. They recognized his power. When Jesus did miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, the quieting of a stormy sea, uh, the, the healing of a blind man, the casting out of demons, people would react to Jesus because in that miracle they recognized his power. There was no greater testimony to the power of Jesus, though, than his resurrection. That he was uh, killed on the cross, and three days later he rose again. There is no one more powerful than Jesus, and he came to this earth, and he served, and he loved, and he laid down his life, and he teaches us to do the same thing. So I think that there are 
two big points that we can take home as I've kind of laid all this groundwork, right? That was not the introduction. We're, we're, we're mostly through, but I think there's two big points that we can take home from this. And the first on the screen for you is power is at its best when it serves. Don't misunderstand what I've been preaching to you today. Power is not in and of itself wrong. Power is not in and of itself evil. Power is easily corruptible. And it easily, instead of becoming about serving others, power easily becomes about serving me. But power is at its best when it serves. I was talking to someone the other day about one of the first jobs that I had. Uh, And I was working at a a racetrack. um, And uh, it's as glamorous as it sounds, but I was working in concessions. And I was pouring beverage. And I was making cotton candy, which I loved, right? I was frying elephant ears. I enjoyed the work. But one of the things that they would offer, especially those of us that were in concessions, is they said, hey, the the races were on Friday night. They said, on Saturday, you can come in and clean up all the pop cans that up in Michigan, this isn't true in Illinois, in Michigan, those pop cans are worth 10 cents a piece. They said that you can come and pick up all the soda cans, all the beer cans, and you can keep the money of, of, of whatever you gather off the ground. And so I got in the habit of doing that. On Saturday morning, uh, I would show up bright and early with a big couple, you know, uh, trash bags. And uh, I would go under the bleachers on, on, on Saturday morning. And I would just start picking up soda cans uh, and, and, and beer bottles and, and stuff like that. I did that almost every Saturday. And it was, it was not luxury. <laughs> cotton candy was better, trust me, right? Um, I've grown, I still have a thing for cotton candy. All right, that's from when I was like 12 or whatever. But, um, but I remember distinctly some of my coworkers in concessions refusing to do it because it was nasty. And I'll never forget the phrase one of them used. They said, that's beneath me. And I don't know what it says about me. I never saw it that way. I don't know. That's probably a good thing, right? But I think we want to be real careful, guys, about entitled attitudes that says, this work is beneath me. Serving others is for others. We, we, we want to be real careful of that attitude. That serving others is beneath me. Or sacrifice is beneath me. Power is at its best when it serves. As a matter of fact, I would like to argue to you for a minute that it is how God designed power to be at its best. Power leverage is best used not with authority, but through service to others. This is true of governmental authority. Don't you long for a government that sets aside partisan divide? A government that isn't relying on huge amounts of money from donors that then control the legislation? A government that isn't seeking to be served, but a government that seeks to serve others? With its policies and its laws and its decisions? They're just seeking to... Doesn't that sound nice and different than what we currently experience? Work authority, don't you long for a boss that isn't always always lording his or her authority over you and over others? A boss who isn't looking out for his or herself? Don't you long for a boss that has a generous and giving heart, a servant's desire? That you showed up for work every day and you just knew about your boss? That this, this person loves to serve. Doesn't that sound nice? Or personal authority. See, here's where I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. Because I think it's easy to long for it in the government. Oh, Steve, preach, 
man, preach. I do long for a government that is that way. Or it's, I think it's easy to long for it when it comes to your work life. I'm getting a tape of this, or a, a tape. I'm going to direct my boss. I first preached this message in 1989, all right? So, right? Now, to say to you, I'm going to say to my boss tomorrow, you go online and you listen to this sermon, because I want him to catch a vision for this. I long for it with my boss, and it's easy to long for it with the government, it's easy to long for it with our boss, and not long for it for ourselves. See, here's what's true of you. You might not see yourself this way, but you have a measure of power in this world. You have a measure of control. If you are a parent, and it doesn't feel this way in most days, but you have a measure of power and a measure of control over your kids. If you're a, a worker at a, at a, at a place of, of business and you have anybody under you at all, I don't care how many it is, anybody under you at all, you have a measure of power and a measure of influence. If you have friends, if you are on social media, if you are a part of your church, you have a measure of influence. I don't care how much authority this world has been given to you. Every single person in this room has this in common. You have a measure of power and a measure of influence over someone. And here's what I would like to ask. What if we prayed, dangerous prayer, God, would you make me a servant? Would you make me a sacrificer? Would you give me the heart of Jesus for the people that I lead, the people I interact with, the people I help? It's so easy to look out the windshield, especially in this day and age. It's so easy to look out the windshield and to feel frustrated with the state of our world, the state of our government. They're not serving me. They're serving themselves. It is easy to be frustrated to look around your company and say, my boss doesn't care about me. He only cares about himself or herself. It is easy to look out the windshield. It's harder to look in the mirror and ask this question on the screen for you. Am I expecting something of others that I am unwilling to do myself? Told you I was going to go into meddling. Because we are rah-rah. I mean, everybody, I think almost everybody, regardless of your political point of view, almost everybody is frustrated with the state of our government. A lot of you are frustrated with the state of your work. You're like, my boss is a jerk. They don't care about me. They're out for themselves. All they think about is how I can serve them. And we are frustrated. But this question on the screen matters. Am I expecting something of them? that I am unwilling to do myself. And here's why this is so important, because the thing number two that I think we can take home, ultimately, the world will change through service. We forget that. I wrote this long before what happened with Roe v. Wade happened, long before, a couple weeks ago I wrote this. But we think that the world will be changed through big macro influence, government legislation, and policy. And listen, those things matter. But ultimately, the world will be changed through God's people that have servants' hearts. I was really amazed with the Texas shooting a month or so ago. What amazed me when that happened was how quickly that turned political. In nanoseconds, it turned political. It was immediate. And our, our attention turned to government for answers. We do that in tragedy. We turn to power to enact the change that we want. And I understand that, and it makes sense. Power plays a role in these conversations. But I suspect, and maybe you agree with me, 
I suspect if you were to ask the families in Texas, who had the greatest impact on your life in the moment of your greatest tragedy, I would guess they would not say it was a congressman or a congresswoman. I would guess that they wouldn't say it was a senator or even the, or even the president. I would guess they would say it wasn't a power of any kind. I would guess they'd say, man, when I look back on the, a month ago at the darkest, most difficult day of my life, the person that made the biggest difference in my life was the friend that came and sat with me. It was the church that started the meal train. It was the community that fundraised so that we could have a funeral for our child. It was the people that prayed for me and with me. Those were the difference makers. And I think, as I've been preaching about this, I think we have a lot of angst when it comes to power. And I think a lot of that angst comes from unmet expectations that we expect more from them. We expect them to make a bigger difference. We expect them to enact change. And I feel the angst too. But what if that wasn't how God designed for the biggest difference to come? What if that isn't the way God designed for the biggest differences to come? What if we've gotten it wrong? And we think that difference making is going to happen at a macro level where big organizations, big government, big entities make big differences. Listen, there is a role for power and a role for authority to be sure. That is the lane that they live in. But what if God designed it differently? And what if the biggest differences didn't come at a macro level? What if the biggest differences came through a micro level? A local level, a personal level, money given friend to friend, let me help you. Hugs dispersed freely and generously. Time set aside to serve. Meals delivered. People that serve people at a local, small, micro level. We think it's big entities making big changes, big government enacting big legislation. What if that's not how God designed the world to work? And that's not how the biggest differences in this world come. What if the biggest differences in this world come when we walk across the street and we deliver a meal, we say a prayer, we write a check, and we love people at a local level? It's really easy to be angsty in this world toward power. It is. That the powers that be are letting us down. They are serving themselves. They are dropping the ball. We are angry at power. What if I said to you that power right now is struggling with what power has struggled with from the beginning of time? That is all that is happening in our world. This is not a new story. It is not a new story. It's not even terribly creative. What if power is struggling with the thing that it has struggled with forever and ever and ever? Amen. It is struggling to be served. It is struggling to leverage their influence in a productive way. It is struggling to overreach. It is struggling with what it always struggled with. Struggled with. And I wonder what would happen if we had less angst toward power and more serving at a local level. That we committed ourselves to being the difference maker that we hoped power would be, but they're not capable of. See, service is so connected to our faith. 
It is so connected to our faith. When you hear conversations about adoption in the life movement and all of that stuff, that Christians are far more likely, I can't remember what the statistics say, but far more likely to reach out and adopt than any other people group in the United States because this is what our faith is. It is service. And in Jesus, the world was not changed. He could have come as an earthly king, amen? He didn't come in as, as an earthly king. He could have. The world wasn't changed through an earthly king. The world was not changed. Jesus didn't come and say, I've got the perfect piece of legislation. Right? You're not going to believe what this legislation is going to do. He didn't do that. He didn't work through the powers that be. In Jesus, we see that the world was changed through our Savior coming to earth and giving his life as a sacrifice. The world was changed through service. And I'm telling you, we've got this backwards. Every time there's a tragedy, every time there's a big news story, you feel the angst, and I feel it too. Powers that be let us down again. Government let us down again. When are they going to get their act together? And on and on and on it goes, but it is not how God designed the world to work. God did, not, God did not design the world to work through the biggest changes coming at a macro level. He designed the world to work through change and difference making happening at a local level. And we like that less. And it doesn't preach as well because we kind of like to be frustrated at power. We kind of like it. And it kind of lets us off the hook. But Jesus very much places us back on the hook. And he says, be the difference that you want the powers that be to be. Be the difference that you want them to be. Walk across the street, hug someone with their permission. (laughs) Pray for them. Bring a meal to them. It's how the biggest differences happen is when God's people sacrifice. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for his example on this. And Lord, um, especially after a week like this one, there is a lot of angst in our world. Um, The last couple months, honestly, toward power. And I'm just wondering if we're expecting power to do something that you never really designed for it to do. That you created your kingdom and your church and your people at a local level where every city would have a a group of believers so that they could serve and love at a local level. And that is where difference-making happens. So would you help us as a church to dial back our angst a little bit, although I understand it too, to dial back our angst and dial up our serving. And that we we would ask you to just lay on our hearts and our minds people that could use some help use an act of service, and that we would step in and locally be the difference that you've called us to be. We thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice of the cross. Like I said, Jesus, you did not come with a well-timed piece of legislation. You didn't even come as an earthly king. You're born in a cave. You lived in obscurity for years. And then when you happened onto the scene, You talked about love and service and sacrifice. And then you displayed that love 
service, and sacrifice by going to a cross. And we are enormously grateful. And we love you. And we want to be more like you. Help us to do it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion together as a church family right now. And just an, it's an opportunity to remember Jesus' sacrifice and his sense of love for us. And, how, and, and it's another opportunity to think about how can I kind of be like this? To dial back the angst and dial up the service. And so we're just going to spend some time with Jesus and thank him for his sacrifice. And I'll come up in just a few minutes and I'll lead us through taking communion as a church family. Um, and, uh, and, and, and leave this place thinking about what service and sacrifice he wants me to make and he wants you to make. His body given for you, his blood poured out. My prayer for us this morning is as we leave this place that we um, would feel inspired and, and ready to serve the way that Jesus served and that he would open our eyes as we're uh, going out to lunch, whatever the case may be, interacting with neighbors this week, uh, spending time with others, that he would lay on our hearts the type of service and sacrifice he wants us to make to be like Jesus, to be his body, his hands, and his feet in this world. Go ahead and stand, and let's close with one last song. Love you guys.